Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're going to conclude our epic two-part episode about CES 2013 and the adventures of Jonathan in Vegas. Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about health. Health? What does that have to do with technology? Everything, as it turns (laughs) out. Uh, well, first of all, uh, the the trend of creating fitness tech has not slowed down at all. I saw lots and lots of examples of various gadgets that will uh, track how many steps you take and upload that data in some way or, or, or analyze your activity in various ways to let you know exactly how active or not active Inactive you are. Inactive you yeah. are, yeah, I, you know, which, which is really cool. And I think a lot of people are, if my Facebook feed is any indication, using that kind of thing to – um, to just kind of crowdsource their their own ability to to level up in health. I, yeah. I, that's the nerdiest thing that I've said in a very long time, and I'm podcasting about tech things right now, so <laughs> that's really impressive. Um, but I, but no, you know, it's 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 a great motivation to be able to connect with other people sure. and share that sort of. Yeah, I've seen people who use uh, things like like the Fitbit as a means of competing against their friends, <laughs> where you know how many they see how many steps they log, and then they see how many their steps their friend logs, and they're like, oh, I need to fit another. 1500 steps so that I could beat them. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, in the end, we're talking about activity and exercise and a healthier lifestyle. So even though there might be some sort of goofy competitive edge on one no, side, that's great. yeah, the, the outcome is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I, I heard that Fitbit actually had a, a new piece of tech called the Fitbit Flex, which ah, is yes. an at- activity tracker bracelet that you basically just wear all the time. Yeah, yeah. And very pretty. It's yeah. very pretty. Uh, um, in the United States, it's on sale for pre-order for $99.95, as I recall. Wow. Yeah. So it's we're talking $100, but it does track all this information. And then uh, you can actually view it through various apps or programs and uh, get more of an insight into what your activity levels mean for your general health. And this means that you can use that information to try and uh, adopt a healthier lifestyle. Or you know maybe you realize like uh, – I need to make more time in my day for this sort of thing because it is important to me in order to have a, a happier life experience. I mean, he- the healthier we are in general, we tend to be happier. You know, it, poor- it is, that is actually a science fact that has been proven yeah. that that healthier people are, are happier. It's yeah. better quality of life. Yeah, poor health means higher stress levels, which in turn leads to more poor Worse health. health it's, yeah. yeah, it's a terrible, terrible cycle, and we got to get out of that. So. Yeah. Uh, speaking of terrible cycles, no, no, I, I saw I saw a lot of exercise equipment, uh, but one of the things I saw was kind of interesting. Um, it was actually I think it was up for one of the CES Innovation Awards. It was a, a, a thing that you would attach to a stationary exercise bike that would allow you to con- control the bike's um, uh, uh, pressure and everything, so that you know you would have greater resistance. Uh-huh. You could control it from a smartphone. So in other words, you think like, I want to go up a hill now. And on your smartphone, which is already playing your music, uh-huh. you just go ahead and adjust this little thing and suddenly you're, you're – now, I don't know how necessary that is. I guess it depends upon what kind of stationary bike you're riding. But I, <laughs> I thought that was an interesting use of health technology. Yeah, that's great. The uh, the, the big one that I heard about was the um, RP Vita by iRobot and InTouch, which um, uh, it stands for Remote Presence Virtual and Independent Telemedicine Assistant. Which means that it's a hospital butler, essentially. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, it's Jarvis for the hospital. <laughs> 
It um it lets you it lets you telecommunicate with your doctor if he's in a remote he he or she I'm sorry that was terrible I'm the worst feminist. Um, <laughs> if, if, I'm if, pretty bad too. If your if your doctor is in is in a remote location, um, uh, you can you can see them. You can plug your your ultrasound or whatever other equipment into this thing, and it will send all of your um, biomedical statistics over there. Uh, really great for emergency situations yeah. and other or, things. Where, like some remote locations where getting a mm-hmm. doctor there might not be uh, might not be easy to do, but a doctor could take a look at that that data and find out like, oh no, we we really do need to send medical help there. Or they could say, this is something that that you can treat uh, on your own, or perhaps even say, this is something you can do until we can get help to you. Yeah, It's it's really a cool way of using technology to help people. Um, There was one other one I wanted to talk about in this area, which kind of relates back to the sports stuff in a way. Uh, and it was uh, Belkin had what was called the Wemo Baby Monitor. Now, Wemo is a technology that they've used for things like home automation and smartphone control. You know, you were talking b- about controlling everything from your smartphone. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Wemo technology is all about that, things like controlling lights from your phone. Right, Things cool. like that. Uh-huh. Well, the Wemo Baby Monitor uh, is a, a device that has a crying algorithm. It has an algorithm that's designed to pick up sound and distinguish one sound from another, and it's specifically mm-hmm. meant to alert you when your baby cries. So when your baby cries, you get a message on your phone saying, hey, baby's not happy. You might want to go check on baby. But if, <laughs> uh, if a big truck goes by and the noise is, is loud enough to hear inside the house, the monitor doesn't send you a false positive saying baby's crying mm-hmm. it also does not send you a message saying a big truck just went by <laughs> that's that's good that which, would get yeah, a little bit tedious yeah be like wow i'm getting a lot of data about the noises <laughs> coming from baby's room but the other thing that this this device does is through a partnership with a uh, a piece of software called evo uh it tracks the information about your baby's crying habits and sleep patterns. So it actually plots this information so that parents can see when their baby is crying, when their baby is sleeping. And perhaps if they see that the baby is crying at a consistent time each day, maybe they change the feeding uh, schedule. Feeding schedule or? Or maybe it ver- might be that there's some other environmental factor that is based upon time that they can look into to make their baby a happier baby. So the idea is that to use this data in a way to become a better parent. And it's a, the reason why I say it, it reminds me of the fitness information is because a lot of this, the fitness gear is all about tracking your activity and then relating that information to you in a, in a way that is meaningful. It's consumable. Right. And that's what, when we talk about the Internet of Things, that's a big element of the Internet of Things. It's this idea that we're going to incorporate not just connectivity to the Internet, but the ability for various stuff to sense what is going on in our environment and send us information that we can understand so that we might improve that environment. Right. Improve the environment or improve our own interaction within that environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that being said, there's always the opportunity for us to obsess over this data in ways that <laughs> you know they didn't necessarily intend, but that's a human thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's all a tiny bit creepy, a little bit big brother here and there. Yeah. I, I get a little bit weirded out by by the things around me watching me. It I all, don't... It all depends on where the data is going to. Well, absolutely. Like, if the data is just coming straight to you, then you're just like, you start to micromanage your own behavior. <laughs> uh-huh. But if the data is going to someone else first, then you're like, oh, great. 
Now they know. They're going to know everything. Yeah, they know how many times I go to the refrigerator and open the door and not actually get anything out, but just stare and then close the door and walk away. That's, you know, and then they're going to send me an email about how wasteful I am. But but hopefully no one no one is bored enough to watch and judge that data. Fingers crossed. I don't know. I met some interesting people at CES. <laughs> But anyway, yeah. So that's that's health technology. Um, we also had a lot of car technology. Now, some of that was things like various new kinds of car stereos, which mm-hmm. you know even louder and more bassier than before. <laughs> but, I mean, that has a place, right? But it's not well, something that that I mean, unless you write about specifically about about car sound systems, it's not terribly interesting to a general to the average writer. consumer. Yeah. Sure. The really interesting thing that I saw was Audi's self driving. Yeah, Lexus also had a uh, a car that was practically self-driving. It had uh, it, this is technology that we've seen developed and implemented into cars. It's just on a level that goes beyond what we normally see in the consumer marketplace. So things like uh, lane change software that mm-hmm. helps you change lanes safely, or collision detection, or automatic braking, or uh, um, uh, you know the the parking assist features. Right, right. Par- parking assist being where, um, you know, if you have your car parked and it has to be a specialized garage outfitted with this array of laser scanners so that your car knows where it is. But, yeah. um, but you can you can then, like Batman, just, just press a button on your smartphone and call your car to you. Right. And it will just drive up from then, the garage. Then the Joker will attack Gotham and you <laughs> have to be on your way to save the world. That's the way that works. Like you do. Yeah. Uh, like a boss. As as my buddies say, yeah, the, both both Lexus and Audi were showing off some features of this, and uh, Toyota's been uh, really really active in developing self driving cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that news broke bef- just as CES was starting. There was news about this Toyota self driving car prototype, and it's really there was a lot of excitement around this because not. Not to say that all cars are going to be driving themselves within a few generations. Uh, yeah, we're we're a little bit off from that. But even if even if that technology is capable, it, none of these car manufacturers were suggesting that that's going to become the norm. They were saying that this is the technology that will make us all safer drivers. And uh, if we go beyond that, if we start creating networks that these cars can communicate to. Uh, in a way that protects our privacy because we right. don't want we don't want the world to know where we're going all the time. No, but in a way that allows the the infrastructure to adapt so that traffic becomes less of a problem. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you are in a city that's outfitted with one of these networks, and grand, this is far into the future because it would cause it would require a huge infrastructure change. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're in a city where this this is a reality. Then your car could navigate through the city without the problem of traffic. If you're going one way, uh, uh, if a lot of cars are going one way, the traffic lights could adapt uh, dynamically to the flows of traffic, so that you know you don't sit mm-hmm. there and wonder like, why is this light red for so long? There's no one coming the other way. Mm-hmm. You know that would be less likely to happen. Or if there was an accident somewhere, your car could automatically route you through a different way. Right. Or you could get to a point where there are no more accidents. That would be nice. Hey, that would be that would be lovely. Uh, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. And now back to the show. 
So, uh, Lauren, I know you're really eager to talk about the next category of stuff, which is gaming technology. I am. I'm excited about it. You, um, I, I think, I think you said in your, I, I listened to your podcast with Chris about uh, 2012 yeah. CES, um, and you said that you had seen Project Fiona there. Yes, Project which Fiona has since become the Razor Edge. Yes, and uh, that's not uh, a finishing move in the WWE in this case. <laughs> I. Um, that, that that reference just whoosh right know, over my head. Razor Ramon? I it's just what? <laughs> okay, uh, In- incredible. I know. I need to educate Lauren, but we can do that after the show. Uh, so yeah, the the Razor Edge is a gaming tablet, and this is a heavy duty tablet. It's a Windows eight machine, capable of running full video games on it. Uh, you can run uh, games and, and use the tablet, like tilting the tablet to make it do stuff. Or if you uh, want to spring for uh, uh, a, an optional case, the Razer Edge Pro version, at least, has a case that has uh, controllers built into the sides. Uh, the buttons and thumbsticks that you would expect from any other controller. Right. So you can play first-person shooters or other types of games uh, f- directly from that. The resolution was amazing. The animation, fantastic video gameplay. I mean, it looked yeah. sharp. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking like 48 gigs of RAM, depending on what model. Yeah. This is this was a, a, a very impressive piece of technology. And uh, they had some where they you were using, I believe, it was HDMI out to larger oh, displays. Wow. Mm-hmm. So they were running games on this tablet but oh, showing cool. it on the big display. So that was kind huh. of fun too. And I wonder I wonder if they uh, could start integrating stuff like the Wii U does with uh, you know having a small screen, big screen. That would be interesting. I wonder, you know, I assume you could do that where you would have the HDMI feed out be different from what you're actually looking at on the screen. I don't know that there's any reason why you couldn't do that. But as far as I know, no one's no one's actually developed that. That could be wrong. Get um, on that somebody. Yeah, someone Someone do that thing, she said. <laughs> but yeah, that was a uh, that was pretty impressive. That one, as I recall, there were yeah, two basic two models: a basic model and a pro model. And the basic model, I think, is going to retail for around just under a thousand. Just under a thousand, then going up to like thirteen hundred like, for mm-hmm. the pro model. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's a healthy chunk of change for a tablet. But again, this is a fully functional computer tablet. Like this is not this is not some. Uh, uh, stripped down mobile device. This is a full computer in tablet form. Yeah, yeah. Which, which just by itself, I think, is completely fascinating. Because the problem that I have with tablets, anyways, the reason that I don't own one is that they're not powerful em- enough for me to do what I want to do with stuff. You know, I need something that's going to run some kind of photo editing pro- program and, sure. you know, yeah. also Microsoft Word. And I, so. I had I had the same issue when I was. You know, I, I eventually did buy a tablet. I very rarely use my tablet, which, again, and I've said this before, it proves to me that the tablet form factor just isn't where I need it to be mm-hmm. for it to be a, a truly useful, indispensable part of my tech life. Right. Now, I know other people who, you know, they never drop the, their tablets constantly in their hands, and they have plenty of reasons why they use it, which is great. It's just not the way I use stuff. Uh, beyond that, in gaming technology, you also had the NVIDIA Shield, Project Shield, which was a uh, that was a big secret. I mean, that was when that was unveiled on the floor. You there was an audible gasp. Cool. Yeah, no, it was pretty neat. That's it was. Fun. Um, so if you ha- if you don't know what the NVIDIA Shield is, imagine uh, an Xbox controller because that's what it looks. That's what like. it looks like. It's not an Xbox controller, but it kind of looks like one. And uh, it's you know it just. Think of it as having a blank face. So there's no buttons, there's no thumbsticks or anything. It's just a blank face. Okay. But then you open up a clamshell 
and it op- uh, it opens to reveal the buttons and thumbsticks underneath the clamshell, and on the underside of the clamshell is a screen. Huh. It's a five inch screen, touch screen. Uh-huh. Um, so the the shield is a, a, a controller and screen all in one, and it does have this clamshell design, so you open it and close it. Uh, it runs a, an, a version of Android, so mm-hmm. you can play Android-based games anytime you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be stored locally on that device. But the, the selling point is that it has software that allows you to stream content from a PC over Wi-Fi to the Project Shield controller. So you can play full PC games on this little controller uh, over the screen. Now, the big downside, as far as I'm concerned, is that you have to be over Wi-Fi to do this. because right, the you have actual- to be tethered to a PC, so, right. you know... The game is actually running on the PC, not on the Shield. Like yeah. the Shield, if you if you've heard of the on live uh, video game consoles, it's the same sort of thing where somewhere out in the cloud there's a machine running the game, and you are just <laughs> running an you know you're, right. you're you're running a window that's looking into it. Uh, latency didn't seem to be a problem. It seemed very responsive, so it wasn't like there was a problem between when you pressed a button and when your character did something that seemed pretty seamless. But it makes me wonder. How practical is this? I mean, are there a lot of gamers who would love to play more computer games, but they don't like having to sit at their computer? Well, I mean, you know, maybe, you know, it's for for the adventurous types that they really want to play Call of Duty from the bathtub or... Yeah, I guess. Um, I'm not... Cause, yeah, cause, I'm not sure. You know, the, yeah, the other problem I had was that, you know, you could argue, well, it also has an HDMI out, so you could play it on your On your television. television. But you could build a video game gaming rig that you can play on the TV already. And there's some uh, companies like Valve that make that really easy to yeah, do. Yeah, uh, you know, And, you know, it's, it's about to get easier. Uh, I, I heard that Valve was also there mostly to talk to hardware partners about um, Steambox. Yeah. Yep, Steambox is one of those things that we still don't know a whole lot about other than the fact that it's on its way. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we understand that it'll probably be a pretty locked down experience, but it should be... Um, it should be about you know, as good an experience as you can expect to to get with a system that you cannot customize yourself. Right, right. You know, it's it's meant for the consumer who wants something they can plug into their entertainment system without having to worry about installing drivers or yeah. uh, managing uh, uh, other kinds of connections. So serious gamers have been doing this stuff on their own already for ages, but now it's getting to the point where the average consumer who may not have that kind of technological savvy right. can do it easily. Yeah, yeah. You know, for, for the PC gamer who wants to... Who wants to also be a console? It, it's blurring the line between PC and console, yeah. and I think yeah. it's fascinating. And I'm not entirely sure what space it has. I, I'm happy to see it happen simply because I think any time you have more competition within a field, it benefits the consumer. Of course, absolutely. So uh, it puts pressure, like all of these products, put pressure on uh, companies like Microsoft and Sony because these could potentially start to siphon away gamers from the established consoles. Absolutely. Um, Nintendo should already be worried. That's why I didn't (laughs) mention Nintendo. No, they really should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I love Nintendo. Don't get me wrong. But I think the the Wii U is not enough to answer the the competition. We talked about this one in our um, 2013 predictions show. And yeah, and I I do think that, you know, I, I like the Wii U. I like the concept, but I'm just not sure if it's... Yep, nom de Dieu. Um, but uh, but but some of the smaller players, um, uh, there was the Oculus Rift. Okay, this kind of transitions us into another discussion about how Kickstarter was 
an incredible presence at CES, not directly, but there were projects that had been, had received Kickstarter backing mm-hmm. that had a presence at CES. And you gotta think, you know, without that crowdfunding, they never could have made it out to CES. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yet there they were showing stuff off. And these are, these are enterprising, innovative individuals or groups that are coming up with technologies that are surprising people. And I heard several people within the technology, uh, journalism field say, their opinion is that some of these big companies, they have so many different lines of products uh-huh. that they have to nurture and maintain that it's really hard to innovate and create new stuff. Absolutely. Because they're mostly looking at, okay, well, what features can we add to this existing stuff so that we continue to sell them? Yeah, yeah, so that we get this big product name to continue. Whereas with these small groups, they're saying, what cool stuff can we make happen? And then the Oculus Rift is a virtual reality gaming headset that has uh, stereoscopic uh, screens. So there's a screen dedicated to each eye uh, that gives you a 3D effect when you put it on. And it's really amazing. There's, there's The latency is not an issue, so you don't get this swimmy effect when you turn your head and look uh-huh. around. Um, and you can control it using a video game controller. Uh, and uh, they even showed off some Unreal Tournament oh, cool. uh, using this thing. So it's like you are actually there. And, uh, and <laughs> instead of – they talked about how it helped – or some, I saw one journalist talk about how it helped uh, even out the playing field between console-based gamers who use controllers mm-hmm. and PC-based gamers who use the keyboard-mouse setup because – that's one of those things. People who use keyboard and mouse are like, well, I'm much more accurate and fast. Uh-huh. If you have a controller, you're slower. Well, with this, you aimed by looking at stuff. You're uh-huh. like, all right, let's see how fast your mouse is now, buddy boy. <laughs> so, uh, But that was a huge success story. It was a Kickstarter-backed yeah. project that actually had space at CES. And it's still not, it's still not out for consumer purchase yet. They're in the development or developer kit stage. Yeah, so. yeah they're, they're, they're offering up... Uh, kits for developers and what they call uh, uh, hardcore enthusiasts. <laughs> so if you're an enthusiast who doesn't care that there's not really any content to play, you can get one of these. But that's the thing. That's why they, they call it developer kits, because they don't want consumers thinking, oh, I can get this. I can get something. some play stuff yeah. on it right now. I'm going to plug tomorrow. it into my Xbox. It yeah. doesn't work that way. No. Um, but uh, but you you actually you actually pre-ordered I think something at the yes, show I didn't did. you? Yes, I did. I was while I was at CES, I put in my pre-order for a Pebble smartwatch, uh, which I'm kind of jealous about. I'm, I really you know if I had had the however many dollars it was when it was up on Kickstarter, 99. absolutely ninety nine. Man, did I really not have ninety nine dollars at that point? It's one hundred and fifty now. So, but at ninety nine dollars, you if you had backed at the ninety nine dollar level or higher, you were uh, you were given. Now, that that would earn you a smartwatch, assuming that they made their goal. Now, mm-hmm. the big story about Pebble is their goal was one hundred thousand dollars. They raised ten million. <laughs> the power Think of Kickstarter, that. kids! It's wonderful. Wow, that's a yeah, ten million dollars. And so they actually there were they had to deal with some controversy because um, controversy might be too strong a word, but some criticism because they had originally anticipated they would start shipping the watches in September of 2012. That date came and went, and they didn't ship. But uh, the the explanation was actually quite logical. They said, well, originally we thought we were going to raise $100,000 and that we would produce maybe 2,000 watches. Mm-hmm. And we were going to do all of that 
in the United States in a California facility that was a small facility that could handle 2,000 orders. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they knew what they were dealing with and had some deadlines based on that. Right. But then $10 million happened. <laughs> and then they realized, well, in order to do this, we need to actually shift to a much larger manufacturing process. And they went overseas from mm-hmm. manufacturing. Uh, that complicated the whole supply chain. It made things uh, slower. So they said, yeah, it, it turns out it was way more complex than what we had originally anticipated, which is why we, we missed it. But we will start shipping the smartwatches to Kickstarter backers starting January 23rd. Uh, it would take six to eight weeks to get all the, the Kickstarter orders out. And they were going to deliver them in the order that people backed the project. Wow. So if you were one of those first people who backed the project, you're going to get your watch first. That's great. Now, I pre-ordered while I was there. So I'm going to have a few months before I get mine. Mm -hmm. Cherry red, by the way. That's the color I went with. They have five colors available. I went with cherry red. Sounds very stylish. If you guys start watching Tech Stuff videos and you see me wearing a cherry red watch, that means my my, uh, Pebble watch finally arrived. Uh, But yeah, they, they were another Kickstarter project that that had a presence at the floor and and that's amazing you know there was a time where unless you were a major player you didn't have a presence at ces if you did have a presence and you weren't a major player it was a tiny little booth that was shoved way off in one corner that most people would never see yeah so it was kind of cool um and then we got the weird stuff we 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 do the weird stuff. We do not do the weird stuff. That's I can't even say that here. No, Excellent. you can say that we do the weird stuff. Okay. That's a Dr. Horrible reference that all of our listeners will appreciate. <laughs> Four sweater vests. <laughs> yeah, not all of this is weird, but it's stuff that doesn't easily fit into other categories. There was the the track dot uh, luggage sensor, um, right? And uh, that has uh, it was a battery operated or it is a battery operated sensor that uh, will text you. Uh, where your luggage is. So let's say you go traveling, you get to the airport, you check your bag. It happens to have one of these trackers inside it. Uh, it will text you where it is. So let's say you end up in San Francisco, but your bag is in uh, Tierra del Fuego. It will send you a text message saying, what the heck? I'm in Tierra del Fuego. It also has a Bluetooth sensor in it so that when it reaches your uh Near you, assuming that you have your phone paired up to it, and it's mm-hmm. uh, once it comes into uh, range, your phone will alert you, so you'll know. Oh, I need to look at my should bag. Pay attention to. Yeah, let me look at all of the black bags there and figure out which one is mine. Oh, well, I got a message, so it's it's coming in. It's close. Uh, so that was kind of neat. Um, there was the uh, the the plastic logic had some flexible displays. This was not on the show floor. It was a closed door meeting that you had to RSVP to. Ooh. So I went to see it. These were really cool. There were these flexible displays that uh, they were explaining in one in the future could be really, really flexible in more ways than one. They showed off uh, an implementation that was pretty neat where they had uh, a flexible e-paper display. So it's e-ink. Mm-hmm. Okay, So it's a very low energy needed to, to create the image. They lay it down. It's showing a map. Okay, mm-hmm. So it's, it looks like a sheet of paper that's showing a map. They lay a second one, a blank one next to the first one so that the edges overlap. Okay. And then the map extends automatically across both pages. Oh, that's so cool. It was just neat, right? And they they explained that this was just a a basic application that could be used in this sort of stuff. And mainly they're talking about using it for flexible displays so that you could create a display that conforms to a curved wall. But I could see so many more applications for this. Absolutely. And uh, that was really exciting. So shout out to Plastic Logic. Uh, 
As for the weird, I've got a tie between the two weirdest things I saw. Yeah. And keep in mind, there are some weird stuff at CES that I never <laughs> saw. There was uh, the Happy Fork, which is a thing. The, it's, it's, yes, that is spelled H-A-P-I. Yeah. It's, fork. it's a haptic feedback fork. And uh, the concept, it's actually kind of interesting. The concept is that uh, if you are eating and you're eating too fast, that can be unhealthy. You could eat more than you need to. It's it's something that can lead to overeating mm-hmm, absolutely. and thus can lead to weight gain or obesity. Mm-hmm. So what the haptic fork allows you to do is set an interval that you do not wish to exceed when it comes to putting your fork to your plate and bringing it to your mouth and going back to your plate again. And if you exceed this speed, then the haptic fork will vibrate in your hand to alert you to the fact that you are eating far too quickly and you need to slow down. The, I'm not I'm not entirely positive that I need a smart fork in my life. I think that that normal intelligence level forks are fine for me. It will also tell you by tracking your data, you can plug it into a computer and find out how many times and how frequently your fork went from plate to mouth. So then you can say, "Wow, not only did I eat quickly, I ate a lot." <laughs> Or at least I took a lot of bites. Yeah, because there's a difference between the number of bites you're taking and the size of the bites you're taking. That's true. If you if you grab a steak in one big stab and just eat the whole thing in one go, then your fork went to plate to mouth once. That fork cannot tell the difference. Yeah. No, it, there was no weight sensor or anything. And it also would allow you to remove the electronics component so that you could put the put shell the into the dishwasher. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you would charge it via USB, of course. So uh, make sure your your silverware is charged before you serve dinner. Uh-huh. The other weird thing was the Hui Me, W-H-E-E-M-E, robot. It's a massage robot. Mas- mm. Massage robot. Yeah. You want to know what it looked like? <laughs> I, know you, I know you do, Lauren. I, I'm sure you've got some things running through your head. More, more than anything. Really boring, actually. So it looks like... Uh, as far as the designs that are probably going through your head, imagine a remote control car, but it has kind of bumpy wheels. Okay. And uh, and it has sensors that tell it when it's getting toward the edge of your body so that it can reverse its motion. So it essentially is rolling over your back. And you lay down, face down, with this massage robot on your back, and mm-hmm. it just rolls across your back and gives you a massage that way. I, I guess that's cool. Yeah, it's not... Some sort of humanoid robot with like. Well, n- no, know. no. I mean, you know, n- nonetheless, I still, I don't know. I, I would feel, I would personally. I then again, I, I might be, I might be a terrible candidate for tech stuff co-hostery because at a certain point, I'm like, I don't really want robots to touch me. See, I was thinking, I was so sad you were not with me. Because I would totally shoot a video segment with you laying down with a robot rolling across your back as I interview you. No, we've agreed that you get to do the embarrassing things. No, 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 no. Embarrassing things we totally have to share fifty fifty. Crap. I will I will get on the electronic saddle if you get the massage robot. That's the that's the rule. Alright, well if that's if that's the Something to look forward to in CES two thousand fourteen, folks. Huzzah! All right. Well, that that's just an overview of what I saw. Of course, there was so much more at this show. I mean, way more oh, than we yeah, could it's, ever it's, talk about. It's impossible about. to to a talk about it and to b even see and all of it when you're at this kind of thing. Right. So the big themes I would walk away from were connectivity, smart applications, and ultra high definition. Those were the big ones that came back over and over and over again. But there was a lot of other stuff there too, and and it's diversifying more and more each year. So you're seeing lots of. Uh, uh, 
breakout areas like uh, technology specifically for senior citizens or green tech, although that wasn't as big a thing this year. I'm worried that green tech was sort of a buzz trend that has already, I mean, some of it's incorporated into technology mainstream already. Yeah, I, I feel like it's mostly been incorporated. I think that people don't need to talk about it quite as much because yeah. all of the, you know, all of the efforts to conserve energy are useful for anyone who's putting any new kind of technology together. So they, yeah. they you know, they want to use it, hopefully. I hope so. I hope so. The other side of that is saying that, well, you know, Consumer Electronics Show ultimately is all about consumerism and consumption and mm-hmm. therefore is kind of antithetical to the whole green movement in the first place. And there's something to that. I mean, you you walk around, you take a look at one of these show floors, and if you just sit there and think, this is a lot of stuff. This is a lot of lights. We're yeah. we're running a lot of electronics right now. Yeah. There's some conflict. But anyway, uh, mostly it's kind of cool. So, um, yeah, if you guys have any suggestions, like if there's anything we talked about that you said, you know, that sounded interesting, but I really want to know more about that. How does ultra-high definition work? Or uh, tell me more about this idea of being able to see two different screens on the same set or anything uh, along those lines, let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuffatdiscovery.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 